All right, let's imagine, let's imagine that um, we are at your funeral. Very exciting way to start off a sermon, right? We're, we're at your funeral, and um, three people are going to speak, uh, co-worker, friend, family member, and they're coming to your funeral, and by the way, it'll be this Tuesday, Tuesday at 11 o'clock in the chapel, and uh, we're all there. We're all coming for your funeral. And by the way, um, all of us are going to die. I don't know if you know this or not, but the death rate right now is still about 100%, so everybody's got to face this mortality. It's your funeral. And you preach your funeral. You ever thought about this? You actually preach your funeral. All the pastor does is we're standing up there regurgitating information that we think we know about you, that we know about you, or that someone's told us about you. All, all word, you're preaching your own sermon. You're preaching your own funeral. We're just up there a conduit communicating your life. Yes, we're talking about a legacy today. And what do you want the people at work saying about you? And if they stood up at your funeral and they're a friend and you've been, you've played golf together, you've gone on vacations together, you text each other, you eat together, what, what would your friends or what do you want your friends to say about you? And what if a family member gets up and speaks about you? What would your family member, what's the legacy that you're leaving or that you want to leave. And the good news is, since you've not died yet, we all have time to build that amazing legacy. And I think about this a lot. I, I think about, and, and it, it'll happen someday, I will die and maybe a staff member from Harborside, now hopefully not anytime soon, but it'll happen someday, and they'll speak about me, and they'll stand up at my funeral and talk about me. What in the world will he or she say? And they'll be friends. And I've had some friends for over 40 years, David Hunt or Lloyd Long. What would those guys say? Gosh, I hope they would be in the spirit, you know, for goodness sakes. I've known them for a long time. And, and if, if a family member, if, if a son or one of my daughters or my son-in-laws, what would my son-in-law say? And so you and I have got time to be able to think about our legacy, and that's what I want to talk about today. Just a couple of quotes about legacy. All men and women must take responsibility to create legacies that will take the next generation to a level we can only imagine. You can see we're pouring into the farm club, and the farm club's raising up and going to lead us in worship for years and years and years to come. Carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. That's a good one, isn't it? Carve your name on hearts. You can always count on Benjamin Franklin to say something kind of witty. If you would not be forgotten as soon as you are dead, either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. That sounds like Benjamin Franklin, doesn't it? It sounds like something he would say. And then just this week, the late Billy Graham said this. The greatest legacy you can pass on to your children and grandchildren is not money or other material things, but rather a legacy of character and a legacy of faith. I agree with that, and you do too. And this is why Jesus says these words. Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, to create a lasting legacy, you can work in the wrong ways, and you can try to build a legacy that will not last. And if your legacy 
is not on the right train or following the right conductor, your legacy will only last as long as you're alive and it'll be gone. But Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. So here comes Jesus. And he says, I'm going to build my church and not even the gates of Hades is going to be able to prevail against it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus made that statement. And nothing has been able to stop the church from getting healthier and bigger and stronger and growing in all parts of the world. The, the church is growing all over the world. Jesus made that statement. Now, one of the reasons why I'm a Christian, I just want you to think through this if, if this is new to you, is it makes sense. Nothing else really makes a whole lot of sense. And we could take 30 different cults today that are up, and I'm going to mention just three real quickly. But you think about Scientology. It's been around since 1954. And a guy named L. Ron Hubbard started, a science fiction writer started Scientology. Jehovah Witness, Charles Taz Russell, a couple hundred years. Joseph Smith, the Mormons, a couple hundred years. And what these guys all have in common, Joseph Smith, Charles Taz Russell, and L. Ron Hubbard, what they all have in common is they're dead. They're dead. They're in a grave. But it was Jesus of Nazareth who said, I'm going to lay my life down, and after three days, I'm going to pick it back up again. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead, and Jesus rolled away the stone. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going with the guy who got up and got out of the grave. That's who I'm going with. Yeah. That's right. It, it just what? It, it makes sense. And so you've got to be on the right train following the right conductor to leave this amazing legacy that all of us dream about. We all dream about leaving something. And by the way, a legacy is not what you get. A legacy is what you leave. It's who you pour into. It's how you impact. It's how you role model. It's how you influence the people who are around you. Could be friends, could be family members, could be coworkers, but it's a legacy. All right, here's another verse that we talk about from, whoops, wrong button. There we go. Um, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That's what 1 Peter's talking about. We're going to leave you an example. Now, one of the ma- amazing things about the Bible is if you want to leave a great legacy, the right train, the right conductor, you can. It's not that hard. You can find yourself in Scripture. You're in the story. Every one of us are in the story. No matter you had a good upbringing, a bad upbringing, you were raised on the wrong side of the tracks, the right side of the tracks, things have gone well for you, things have not gone well for you. Folks, you're in the story. You can find somebody in the 66 books, you're in the story. Maybe it's Esther, and she risked her life to save the nation of Israel. Maybe it's David slaying a giant. Maybe you've got some giants in in your life. Maybe it's Josiah having to lead the nation to repentance and back to reform. All of us are in the book. Perhaps it's the woman at the well. Perhaps it's the woman with the alabaster jar of perfume, and she broke open the the jar, poured it all over Jesus to anoint him for his, his burial. It's the widow who gave it all. You're in the book. You're in the story. If you want to leave a great legacy, you find yourself in the story, and you find how you were able to go forward and leave this amazing legacy. It really doesn't matter what's happened before this. What really matters is is what you're doing today. You can't unscramble eggs. 
You can't go back, but you all, and me included, we can all go forward. What's the legacy that will be said about you at your funeral? So last Sunday, we closed the service out, and we did communion at the end. Do you remember that? We had communion at the very end, and we turned the lights really low, and and we're all holding the loaf and the cup, and I'm encouraging you to pray and and connect with a couple things on the screen. And during third service, I realized I don't have the communion. I don't have the the, the two-cup thing, so I don't have the bread, I don't have the juice. And so a bunch of interns we had last summer, and in third service, like, like the first three rows is all teenagers. And so I come over here in the dark, and Shay Long is like right in front of me. And I'm going, this is when you're praying. Shay. <laughs> Shay. I need your communion. <laughs> She's having an intimate moment with God. She thinks God's talking to her. <laughs> she, never, she was so disappointed when she found out it was just me, by the way. She never opened her eyes. Next to Shay was Lindsay, also an intern this past summer. Lindsay goes, and I'm like, I need your communion. Can I? You want my communion? Yeah. So I take Lindsay's communion. At my funeral, that's all Lindsay's going to be able to remember. She won't remember a thing I said, not a scripture verse, not a, not a lesson. It'll be about pastor stole my communion. So I I, I don't know what you're going to leave, but I think you want to leave a great legacy. I think you have a desire to leave something behind that far outlives you in the next generation. So I want to talk to your head for just a few minutes, and then I want to talk to your heart. So if you've got the app, go on the app. We're going to have eight fill-in-the-blanks. So I want to talk to your what first? I want to talk to your head And then I want to talk to your heart. So let's talk to the head first and come up with some things on some ways that we can do this. So he says again, I want to leave you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. So here are eight different ways to build your legacy. The first one is to live a holy life. That makes sense. And the word holy just means to be separate. It just means to be set apart. And so it's true that God wants you to be set apart. We're in the world, but we're not of it. And the more we're of this world, the less holy we can be. So we're in it, but we're not of it. Here's what he says. Now, that you've been purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. But we've been purified. Now that you've been purified, we've been purified by Christ. Jesus Christ has cleansed us and purified us from all sin and unrighteousness. So one of the ways to leave a great legacy is to pursue holiness. Here's another one. You learn from Jesus. Nobody's had a better legacy than Jesus Christ. And so what did Jesus do? And what did Jesus not do? How did Jesus respond? And how did Jesus act? And what were the habits and steps that Jesus had? So we learn from Jesus. And he says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And what? Learn from me. And so we learn from Jesus of Nazareth, and, and, and we grow, and we, we're then able, we're set up for success for an amazing legacy. Number three, we have love and compassion for people. Jesus was able to do this well. Jesus was always able to balance the whole grace and truth thing. You got to have truth. If you don't have any truth, you don't have anything. 
But you got to have grace. If you don't have any love and compassion, I mean, really, what, what do you have? Jesus was able to manage that tension. He could ride that rail so well. And here's what, he, here's what we say. Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away. I'm hungry, or they may collapse on the way. Jesus was compassionate. He was marked by compassion. And, and if you err on the side of compassion you'll probably leave a better legacy. Be willing to make sacrifices. I don't know of anybody who has left a legacy that's healthy who hasn't had a lifestyle of sacrifices. Everybody that's self-centered, everybody that the world revolves around them, nobody really wants to emulate that or follow them or they're not great examples. But those who've made sacrifices. Danita had an aunt, and the aunt... um, Her name was Vanda, and Vanda was amazing. And by the way, Vanda never got married until she was 70 years old. The first time she ever got married was 70. And I'm actually doing the ceremony at Johnson University. It's kind of a high church chapel, you know, and everybody's kind of stiff. And I'm doing the ceremony, and I quote the scripture verse that God said to be fruitful and multiply. (laughs) I thought it was funny, too. I did. And I looked at him and I said, so when can we expect kids? I think I was the only one laughing in the whole place. I'm doing the ceremony. So, so she was one of these people that just gave and gave. And on a school teacher's salary, she bought a baby grand piano for Danita and another cousin. And we have that piano in our home. And Danita has taught hundreds of children on that baby grand piano from Vanda. And our kids have all learned to play the piano on that baby grand. And Ethan has had thousands and thousands of hours on that, on that piano. She was a woman that, so she had her own quirks. She wasn't perfect. But what do you think we talk about? The quirks or her sacrificial lifestyle? Yeah, we talk about her sacrificial lifestyle. You learn to make sacrifices People are going to talk about you in a good way. Here's the verse. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We practice forgiveness. Now, we all know what it feels like not to be forgiven. And when we are forgiven, a 1,000 pounds just went right off our shoulders, right? We all know how it feels like not to be forgiven, and we all know what it feels like to be forgiven. And when you learn to love and forgive your friends and your coworkers and your family members, it makes all the difference in the world. You're set up for success with your legacy. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. All right, listening and believing. This is a big one. We listen, and then we put our faith into action. We don't do what James says, listen and then, like, you know, don't pay attention to it and go the other direction. We listen, and we put our faith to action. We listen, and we believe. Very, very truly, I tell you, that whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And so we hear God's word, and then we put God's word into what? Into practice. We understand local and global outreach. And so we're inviting people to church. We're helping those that are less fortunate. We're making a difference in our community, in our state, in our country, and in other places. Local and global outreach. Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting the net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Folks, followers fish. It's that simple. Followers fish. What we do as believers is we fish, and we fish, and we fish for people, and we invite people, and we invite people, and we invite... I've told you this before. It takes seven to nine invitations for most people to ever come to church. So you invite somebody once or twice, and you give up? No, you're just getting started. (laughs) It takes seven to nine invitations is the average for people to come. Finally, they come just to shut you up. All right, I'll come. Leave me alone. We fish. And we're obedience and dedication to God. That's how you leave a legacy. Obedience and, and, and uh, dedication. Why were you searching for me? He's 12 years old. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's business? That's really cool. All right. Let's talk for a few minutes. That was the head. Let's talk to the heart. Um, I want to enter into the school shooting conversation ever so gingerly. And and the reason is, there's a lot of people talking about this today. You've got the NRA involved. You've got the Broward County Sheriff involved. You've got deputies involved. You've got the president having a bunch of students and parents involved. You've got CNN and Fox News, you know, going at it with each other. You've got the governor involved. You've got state representatives involved. You've got a whole lot of people talking right now about the school shooting, and I want to enter into this sort of gingerly because here's what I'm hearing. I'm not hearing the issue. I'm not hearing the core of really what the problem is. And so I'm not here to talk about Yes, we should arm the teachers or we should not arm the teachers. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm not here to talk about whether or not we should raise the age limit from this to this on the AK. I'm not here to talk about that. Or we should have more guns or less guns. I'm not here. The deputies did or didn't go in. The FBI did or didn't do it. I'm not here to talk about that. Take all that stuff right now and put it over here in a big pile over here in the dark. The issue, the issue is not about guns, more or less. Here's what every child psychologist knows. Here's what every deputy knows. Here's what every school teacher knows. The issue always comes back to the family. The issue always comes back to the home. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and, And we're stuck over here. And I'm not saying some stuff over here doesn't need to be fixed. That's not my area of expertise. That's for another day. But let's talk about the real issue. The the real issue is we're reaping what we've sown the last 50 years. We're reaping our sexual immorality. We're reaping from couples living together. We're reaping from adultery. We are reaping from divorce. We're reaping from rampant homosexuality. We are reaping from all the sexually transmitted diseases. We are reaping from homes where the parents are on drugs, are drinking, are not committed. The homes have become the most unstable, toxic environment. And is it any wonder that we have some of these students now that grow up and they don't know who they are and they're emotionally disturbed because we are reaping what we have sown and it's the family. It's the family. It's not the guns. 
You can make these schools gun-free or full of guns, and they'll find another way to destroy our kids. Put a bomb on a, on a drone. There's a, put, a, put a, something in a car. There's a hundred different ways to do this. The issue is not this. The issue is the human heart. And the human heart is corrupt and deceptive, and we all know that we must work on the home. Let's go a step deeper. It's not even the home. It's the marriages. Take the home, but it's the marriage. And unhealthy marriages create toxic children. Unhealthy marriages create toxic homes. Unhealthy marriages are just ripe for a a, a slew, a plethora of issues that are going to come come down the road. And so we can can fix this, and we can fix this, and we can fix this, and we're putting a Band-Aid on gangrene. The issue, the issue is the home. And that's our area of expertise. That's where we come into play. And then we talk about marriages. That's where we ought to be good. So let's, let's go forward. Again, you cannot unscramble eggs. But what you can do is go forward with where you are today. So there's two ways that we can do this. What can we do to contribute to this, this problem? Is there something that we can do? And the answer is yes. And I think God's ahead of us. That's why even four years ago, we started having the vision for a wedding chapel. And the wedding chapel is just the carrot. Does everybody understand that? It's just a drop-dead gorgeous tool so that all these brides will see this and they'll go, man, I got to get married there. And part of the package then is we have marriage mentors, we have, we have people that are involved with premarital and postmarital equipping. And our goal with the wedding chapel, that's the carrot, That's only the carrot. You know what I mean by carrot? The goal of this is all of the premarital and postmarital equipping that we do with each one of these couples so that we can change the trajectory of marriage in this county and in this state and in this country. And our goal is to do as many weddings as we possibly can. We have 20, I think we're almost 25 now, marriage mentors that are being equipped to walk couples through all this. We can do that. We are doing that. And that's one of the things that we are going to do really, really well. Secondly, though, is this. I've got to work on my marriage. You've got to work on your marriage. If we really want to do this right and well and leave a great legacy, people are watching your marriage. Now, again, I can't go back and, you know, clean up spilt milk and put it back in the container, but I can go forward. And the goal for us as a church, the goal for us as family is, how can you build your marriage? The best marriage to work on is the one you're in. And everything's at stake. Everything's at stake. The people around you, your family, your friends, everything's at stake. If you're not married, your attitude toward marriage is critical. This is a holy institution. In the first chapter of the first book, there is a wedding. There is a marriage. In the last book of the Bible, there is this amazing marriage supper of the Lamb. God's into this institution. And so even if you're not married, your attitude toward marriage, you're part of the solution or you're part of the pollution. Hands down. That's what it is. 
And so as a, as a church, we built a chapel. God gave us this vision because he knew that unless the marriages were strong, the families wouldn't be strong. And if the families weren't strong, we're going to have toxic kids. And if we have toxic kids, nobody's safe and everything's jacked up. That's not exactly a theological term, but it, <laughs> but it, it, it should be, all right? It could be, could be. And so what do we do? I'm going to work on my marriage. You work on your marriage. I don't have time to worry about your marriage. I got enough worried about my marriage, right? Am I the only one in the room that feels that way? And, and, and this is a holy institution set apart by God. And then we're set up to leave an amazing legacy. I've been praying that we might have a spiritual awakening, but I think that becomes possible only as individuals surrender their lives afresh and anew to Christ and live the Christian life wherever you are. First, we do everything we can to follow in the steps of Jesus. We're to live a life in which we love one another, we help one another, we live according to what Jesus lived. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us live that new lifestyle, which is one of love, gentleness, and patience, and all of these things that are the fruit of the Spirit. We must remember that we communicate the gospel by our lives as well as our lips. We live before a watching world, a world that is waiting to see if what we say is lived out in our lives. We must be living in the power of the Spirit. We must be men and women who are pure vessels for God's message. Secondly, you read His Word every day, the Bible. I know it's very difficult, but you need to start somewhere. And I'd suggest you start with the Gospel of Luke and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, start with the very first verse, in the beginning, God. And study those passages. Make the Bible your source and your authority. Quote it frequently. Let its message be your message. Study it, meditate upon it, memorize it, trust its promises. The Word of God itself has power. And the third thing, go to your knees and pray until you and God have become intimate friends. I cannot describe to you the joy and the peace that He gives to you as a result of that daily routine that you have in prayer. Is there a lack of power in your life? Perhaps you have neglected the preparation of your life. We've neglected prayer. We've neglected God's Word in the feeding of our own souls. Whatever it is, confess it, forsake it, repent of it, and then walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and gain victory over it. And may God today 
lift our vision and may the power of the gospel break upon our world with fresh force as we are obedient to Christ's call to repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Hallelujah. That inspires me. Does that inspire you? That inspires me. But it also shows me it can be done. It also paints the steps, the progression of how we can leave an amazing legacy. I want to encourage you. If you're married, work on the best marriage you can have. If you're single, have a great attitude toward all the holy institutions that God has established. I want to encourage you to pick one of these steps. I don't think you can pick eight of these and not get a little discombobulated. I want to encourage you to pick one and put it into practice. I want to encourage you today that if you've never given your life to Christ, this is the time. This is the place. This is your moment. It's the moment where your sins are forgiven. It's the moment where you're on the right train with the right conductor. It's the moment where your sin and shame and guilt is taken away and you have purpose and clarity and direction. I want to encourage you today to take some real steps because someday we're coming to my funeral and someday we're coming to your funeral and we're leaving a legacy because every deed is a seed. Every deed is a seed. Every deed is a seed. Everything you and I do is a seed for the future. So if you would, when you find your one, pick your one. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front at this time. But when you find your one, would you stand? Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for how you worked through a man named Billy Graham. We thank you that there are no financial scandals. There's no women scandals in this man's ministry or his personal life. This is a man that was humble, never lost sight of the fact that he was a sinner saved by grace, just as I am without one plea. This was a man who got it. Help me to get it. Help my brothers and sisters in this room to get it. And now we have a roadmap to pursue a legacy with the right train and the right conductor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.